Hey, welcome in Stinky Truth Podcast. Mark Schler alongside my co-host Mike Evans, Millennial Ben, producing the show. Want to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Also, uh, for your barbecue in season, uh, stinking good green chili. Check us out at stinkinggood.com. We've got chili. We've got the green chili. We've got the queso dip. Uh, you're absolutely going to love it. So stinkinggood.com for more information there. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, doing well. Uh, normally, we like to keep things upbeat in this uh in this time that we get a chance to to chop it up when it mm-hmm. comes to talking about the NFL. But sad news to to kick it off with uh, one of the all-time great characters in NFL history, Tony Siragusa passing yeah. away. Yeah, you know, you go back to you go back to well, obviously he's a free agent signed in, I think, nineteen ninety by the Indianapolis Colts and um and then he was a you know, kind of a role player, became a starter, I think in his second or third year. Um and just became a, a kind of a dominant force, a guy that you just really couldn't move, obviously a huge dude, and um, and just became kind of legendary in his time with Baltimore and part of that 2000 Baltimore Ravens defense. And it's so, you know, it's just so interesting to me. Like, I was playing at that time. I played against Goose quite a bit um, over the years, you know, both in Indy and both in Baltimore. But I'll never forget us going in a playoff game out to Baltimore during that 2000 season. And so the Broncos travel out there, and we've got this whole game plan. Like, we're going to put it together. Like, nobody runs the ball against the Baltimore Ravens, right? And you put them on film, and Ray Lewis is running around just unencumbered. Like, nobody's touching him. And it's just freaking tackling practice. He's crushing people, right? And it's Sam Adams and it's Tony Saragusa. And they're both just big, huge, gigantic humans, right? And they're just eating up blockers. Meanwhile, linebackers are flying around. And, and so, anyhow, we ran the ball against everybody. Like, we we could always run the ball. And, you know, we're sitting in meetings all week. And, you know, your coach is approaching you, your head coach, your O-line coach, you know, the tight ends coach. Here's how we're going to run it. This is why we're different than everybody else. This is what on and on and on it goes. You know, so we convince ourselves during the week of practice, this is going to be different. This is the way it's going to go, right? And we're going to da-da-da-da, and we're going to run the ball, and we're going to – we get out there. I, I'll never forget about the third quarter. We got, you know, it through through three quarters of football. We've got about thirty-seven yards rushing. And Alex Gibbs just looks at me. He's my offensive line because he shrugs his shoulders like, and he's just like, uh, "What are you gonna do? Like, like, we're getting our ass kicked, right? There, nothing we can do." And it, you know, it was really, it was really Saragusa and Sam Adams, and and he went on, you know, ten years at Fox. Uh, being a sideline guy and my producer at Fox, uh, Barry Landis was his producer. And, um, you know, there, there's just a one thing about Tony Saragusa, man, there was this Teflon nature to him. Like he, he was indestructible. Like no matter what he did, it just seemed to turn to gold, you know? And uh, I, I'm just sad. I'm, I'm sad for the loss. I didn't know him well, but I've been at several events with him. Larger than life personality. Funny as all get out. You know, he's, He's just that prototypical kind of big Italian. Like it just is like he is like right out of Central Casting, and um, you know my heartfelt condolences to his family and to everybody that um, that he impacted. The one thing about Tony, man, if you were around him, dude, like it was light, it was breezy, it was easy, and uh, and he made you laugh. So. When he was doing. He became really notable for doing – he wasn't a sideline guy. He'd be standing 
behind yeah. in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And I loved listening to him because I got a sense listening to him. I don't know if he knows the two teams that are playing. Right, right, right. Uh, I, I, I definitely don't know how much study he's put into this game, but he's just kind of riffing on whatever. Right. And it was so authentic. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this guy was grinding through tape all week, Mark Schlereth style. No, I, I probably. <laughs> but that's not what he was asked to do, right. and he was really good at what he did. Probably not, but he was he was a personality. You know, he's you you know people were sneaking him hot dogs down there sure. on the side. Well, not sneaking. He was just eating yeah. hot dogs, slamming and, beers, right? And just enjoy just <laughs> yeah. enjoying the game. Every yeah. now they throw down to him like I have no idea. <laughs> Back to you. <laughs> but that was Tony, man. It just like it was. It, and you could play a little, huh? Oh yeah, I like like there. You never had a worry. I mean, I think over the course of his career, he had about twenty sacks. You know, he fell into him. Other people, yeah. you know, he, um, and not that he, not that like he was. You never worried about Tony beating you one on one in a pass rush situation. You know, I mean, he may get pocket push because he's so big. Um, and you know, and then, you know, the other, other pressure quarterback steps up, he slides off and, you know, gets one of those, uh, what we as offensive linemen would consider garbage sacks, you know? Um, but dude, you, you weren't, you weren't moving them off the point. <laughs> like you're just not like, you're just working for a stalemate, you know, you weren't up kicking uh, Tony. Sergio, no, so. <laughs> I up kicked him all the time in pass rush. Cause there's like, he's never going to beat you. But like when you run like coming off the ball, like, ah, and you're like, ah, my feet are moving, but that move, the pile is not moving. You know, like, well, from a football standpoint, is that what that Ravens defense was able to do? Is it something that you that teams try to and, and can copy today? Can you play that kind of style where you just have two huge mammoth guys in the middle of your defensive line and build your defense around linebackers playing downhill, or is is that time come and gone? I think I think for the most part, Mike, it's it's come and gone. I, you like the league is so much more based out of you know three wide receiver sets, one tight end split from the core. You know, it's just a spread offense, and like those guys can't get to the quarterback. Now it's more about hey man, we've got our NASCAR package where we've got four defensive ends in there. You know, we've got. Two defensive ends playing, you know, playing inside. And then we got outside linebackers, and that's that's how we base nowadays. You know, everything is based out of nickel. It's no longer base. Uh, it's no longer, you know, your four defensive linemen, your three linebackers, and your four DBs. Now it's five DBs, two linebackers, you know, four D linemen, and, and maybe it's four linebackers and two D linemen. But that's kind of how everything is based now. So. Um, and, and the other thing, the fact is, and like, I hate to give you credit, you know that, but I'm going to give you some credit. You know, you've, you've basically said, listen, a lot of people now don't even care about defending the run. They're just trying to defend the pass. Right. And they'll just give you an opportunity to run the ball. And every defensive coordinator, you ask, no, our first priority is stop the run, make them one dimensional. They all say that lip service. I had one guy admit to me. Mike Pettin goes, yeah, I don't give a crap about the run. I'm just trying to defend the pass. Like, you want to run it 18 times, you know, you want to run it, uh, you know, in a drive eight times and and cram it down. We'll tighten up when we get into the red zone and just give up field goals. But like during in the in the field of play, it's the passing game that hurts you. And so, uh, yeah, I just don't think that I think those days are are probably past. 
But, boy, that Ravens 2000 defense was special. While we're talking about characters that we're losing, Rob Gronkowski retiring for the second time. Yeah. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, just the way he plays the game, he, he's taken a beating. He's had, you know, a knee. He's had the, the arm thing. You know, he plays with that big brace on his arm, that broken arm, um, elbow. I, I just – it. it it takes a beating, you know. I mean, it, it takes a toll on your body. Now, <clears throat> would I be surprised if at week nine all of a sudden mm, okay. Tom Brady calls him and says, "Hey, dude, like we're making a push. We're, you know, we're we're seven and two. We're making a push. We could really use you." Would I be surprised if Gronk goes, "All right, you know, I could I could make that work." Uh, no, I wouldn't be surprised. But I wouldn't be surprised if Gronk just said, I've had enough. I'm done. I'm just going to go find other things to do. You know, I'm going to go on a party cruise. And, um, like, Gronk is the ultimate meathead who's really, like, plays the role of meathead perfectly, but is really sly like a fox. Like, one thing you got to understand about Rob Gronkowski is, you know, he comes from that meathead kind of, like, the whole family is that way, you know, and, and you think that, they're like they they play themselves off as not bright and you know and cavemanish and Gronk is a very intelligent dude. You know that that he has lived since he got into the league. He has completely lived off endorsement money. He hasn't spent a dime of his. And that's seventy three million dollars that apparently, if legend is true, he hasn't touched. Yeah, he's just put it all away, invested it all. Um, he's lived off of endorsement uh -huh. money, which is probably pretty close to what he's made in his career, or at least maybe half of that. And I could see him, you know, touring around, like I said, doing the, uh, hey, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're taking this. You know how they do those, like, throwback cruises? Like, it's the, uh, hey, jump on this cruise, and it's, uh, you know, the, the Guiding Light cruise, right? And, the, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I mean, whatever it is, it's <laughs> Rob Gronkowski's party cruise, yes. right? But I always thought that as long as Brady would, was playing that, that Gronk would play because the two have such a great relationship uh -huh. on the field and off the field. And, and plus, you know, it, he's not, he's not going through the meat grinder. That's, that's new England and the Belichick way. He's been able to, to do it his way. And it, it seemed like he was rejuvenated and he only missed four games in two years in right. Tampa. I, I thought he'd keep going, uh, but, but he doesn't. Let me ask you about his legacy. If this is it for Rob Gronkowski, okay? Let me mm -hmm. give you this scenario. All right. The aliens are invading. The okay. aliens are coming. All right, they're coming. And the fate of our world depends on a football game. And you can have one tight end in his prime to play with the world on the line against the aliens. Who would it be? Wow. Well, let's, give me a list of tight ends. All right, well, you you've got, got the obvious you the guy you played with who's in the Hall of Fame, Shannon Sharp. Right. you got guys like uh, Tony Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. you got uh, even really good tight ends today, like a, a George Kittle, mm -hmm. for example. Am I leaving uh, anybody else out? Kellen Winslow Kellen would Winslow, be a guy. Uh, Mike Ditka Mike back Ditka in the day. Mike Ditka from back in the day. And, and Gronk. Ozzie Newsome. Mm-hmm. Gronk. I, I tell you, here's the thing about, about Gronkowski that I think probably at this point he would be he'd probably be my guy. I mean, obviously he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, right? Goes directly in first ballot. 
one of the great tight ends that ever played. Like, I, like you can make, you can make an argument. Like, I don't think there's any arguing when you say there's only one position when you say best ever at, at his position. There's, there's places you can argue, but Jerry Rice is the best wide receiver. Like everybody goes Jerry Rice, and then you know your list of whoever is second. Gronk, I don't think there's any arguing that that you would say that Gronk is a top three all time. There, you may be able to, you know, you may be able to pick holes here or there, but top three all time, like he would be in everybody's top three, right? But the thing that amazes me is his size advantage, how big he is, how soft his hands are, how great he is at catching the ball. How you just trust his body to be like, even though you're not running away from people, um, but you're always open your ability in the field, like the stiff arms and the physicality that you run with after you catch the ball and your ability to make big plays. And then you can go through a game where you have one or two catches, no touchdowns, and you can be a deciding factor in in winning that game because of what you do on the end of the line of scrimmage. There's not many tight ends, Mike, that you can just turn loose on a defensive end in the run game and say, hey man, go erase this dude. That's what that's what you know Gronkowski did. I mean I've talked to Bruce Arians before a game. Um, you know, a game I was calling a Tampa game and like Bruce Bruce and I are tight, so I could ask him questions like, okay, where do you see the advantage in your matchups? Like what where's your and so a lot of coaches won't give you an answer. Well, like hey, both really good teams and there's not a lot of advantage. And Bruce just come right out and say, hey, man, listen, we can dominate. Our tight end, our Gronkowski can dominate their defensive end in the run game. So really what I see us doing is, you know, really like he's a real gap guy. Like he likes to run gap plays, you know, the powers and the counters and the duo things where you're double teaming everybody where he can go. Hey, listen, I have no qualms about running wide zone stuff, and uh, and Gronkowski will erase their defensive end. Just erase him. That's an advantage for us. We can run We can run the edge, whatever that edge play is, because Gronkowski will dominate their guy on the edge. Like, that's, that's the kind of impact. So he can impact the game without ever catching a ball. The, in today's game, there are very few tight ends that have that kind of impact because they all think of themselves as wide receiver. George Kittle has that type of impact. I, I'll tell you, Waller has has that type of impact. But most of the guys that they draft in today's game, most of the guys, you know, we had one here that just got traded in Noah Fan. He's not a willing participant when it comes to when when it comes to eating up the edge and and blocking dudes, and so. Um, that's kind of a lost art form, and Gronk has always had that ability, which I, you know, I appreciate. And and I'm always curious about the conversations you get to have with these guys. Have you had a conversation with with Gronk? Well, in, yeah, in prepping I've, for a Tampa game. I've known Gronk since his college days because my son pitched at okay. Arizona when Gronk was playing there. Yeah, so I've known. I've so known. who's the real Gronk? Oh, like Gronk is Gronk is that fun loving knucklehead. Like knucklehead on the outside guy, that that's who he is, right? I mean, he's like he doesn't care what you think. He just is gonna live the way he wants to live his life. But when life. you talk to him, like when you were talk to him during a during a Tampa uh-huh. week, I mean, do you does he does he show that other side? 
to you? Or oh. is he just Oh yeah, he's always he's always playing the role of Gronk. Right, you know, right, he's right. always great. But no, he he like he's thought like he's always asked me, How's your how's Daniel doing? What's it you know, what's he up to? Da, 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 da. Like he's always into into that, you know, he's and and you can tell like he you can tell he totally he gets the game, right? Yeah. He understands the yeah. game. Like I said, he's got he's got great football acumen, but he's just got great like he's just a he's a he's a a much smarter guy than he plays, you know, he plays that role on TV well, but he is uh he really understands the game and he understand life in general, man. He's just a I I've I have nothing but respect, man. I've always enjoyed being around Gronk. Well, you go from uh, Rob Gronkowski to Deshaun Watson. There's no easy transition here, so let's just do it. Uh, Deshaun Watson apparently settling 20 of the 24 cases mm-hmm. against him. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this right at the start, Deshaun saying to everybody, I'm not going to settle? I want my day in court. Mm. I'm innocent, and I I want to prove it. What right. happened to that? Um. Well, obviously, anytime you settle, even though you say this is not an admission of guilt, it's an admission of guilt. Of course it is. Right? I mean. Especially with 20 of them. Right. And so, you know, I think that, I think Deshaun looks at the inevitability of missing time, and he's going to miss significant time. I, how much, I don't know. You said last week you think it could be the entire season. I do. I do. So, I think one of the things that you're trying to do here is you're trying your damnedest to put the ball in the NFL's court. So you've got to understand how the NFL operates in these kind of scenarios. They they do two things. The commissioner does two things. One, lets the legal process take its course. Why should I make a decision early? Right? Because... I've made some decisions early in the past, and they've come back to bite me in the, right in the butt. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to let all the information trickle out, and then when it's all said and done, then I'm going to sit down with everything that's out there, and I'm going to make what I think is the best decision for our league. Now, one of the criticisms you hear from coaches, and I've heard this from multiple coaches, is them doing that, puts all the onus back on the team. And they're like, well, we'd like some direction from the league. And the league is like, well, we're not giving you any direction until we get all the information. So you guys can do whatever it is you want to do. And, I mean, think about last year in Houston. It was the Texans that suspended. He could come to practice and do everything, but the Texans wouldn't allow him to play. So um, I think for Deshaun Watson – what he is trying to do is expedite the process. Let's get it out there. Let's get it done. Let me write, you know, this is the most expensive massage in history or massages in history. So let me write my checks. Let me get this out. Let me do it. And um, and then put the ball back in the NFL's court to say, okay, now what? Settled. You know, there, there are, uh, there are, you know, all the papers are signed. Um, there are, what, what do you call those when you, you don't want anything disclosed, uh, non-disclosure yeah. agreements? Yeah, and NDAs. Yeah, NDAs. And so here we go. Like, you guys, NFL, it's in your court. What are you going to suspend me? I'll take the suspension. I'll make my appeal. 
and then I'll sit out for however many games you guys decide. So you, you've got him settling. You know there's a suspension coming. I have long held from the start of all this that as soon as he starts playing football and chucking touchdowns and leading his team to wins, people will look at him as a reclamation story mm-hmm. and a redemption story, right. and they're eventually all of this will die down. I, I got to admit, I, I, I'm not so sure now. I, I don't know. Is this something that you think he's going to be able to play play himself out of the shadow that's that's dogging him right now? Um, I th- and, and will he be right. the kind of player that he was before all this? Right. Two great questions. I mean, it is, it's hard to take all the time off that you've taken off and, and not by your own accord, right? But you're not practicing as much last year. Um, you're not getting to play in any of those games. You know, here's a guy that's had multiple, didn't he had two ACL reconstructions as well. Um, still a young guy. But yeah, that's that, that's a lot, Mike, and it's a lot of time missed to think that you're just all of a sudden going to be, you know, come back and be a superhero. I, you know, I have my doubts on that. Um, then the other thing is, how do you respond? You know, there are there are two types of of guys. You know, there are the guys that have issues off the field issues, and the field is a great sanctuary for them because they can forget about their problems and just play. And then there's guys that are on the other side of that ledger. Like, I'm one of those guys that if something's going on in my personal life, man, I'm human, and it will affect the way I play. And I don't know I don't know what he is. Like, I don't know what that is. Um, and then there's not a city that he won't go into from this point forward where he won't have some type of protests against him every time he walks into a stadium. So... Yeah, there's there's a lot. There's going to be a lot to deal with, and this is a lifelong ramification, and there will always be a yeah, but caveat at the end of Deshaun Watson's name. Um, regardless of how much of a reclamation project, and there are there are many, many people that will forgive you. There are many people that will say, hey, man, you know what? I don't know what went down. He obviously made some mistakes, but the bottom line is, you know, he's redeemed himself to some to some degree, you know, I, I'm sure there'll be a bunch of donations and a bunch, you know, and all those things. And, and maybe it's sincere, maybe it's not. I don't know, but there will always be that yeah, but at the end of his name that that will dog him for the rest of his life. So last time we did this, we talked, and you said you thought it could be for the entire year. This was before the news of the settlements and mm-hmm. everything like that. And in your mind, like you just said, you settle, especially on that grand of a uh, a scale 20 of them i mean that that, that come on that that's an admission of yeah. guilt so do you think that that only further strengthens your belief that this guy could be dinged for the entire year it it does the other thing is there's four obviously that won't that haven't settled that right. didn't accept that agreement right. so now what happens with those four are are those four made of the stuff that says i don't care about money i don't care about the money i want i want this Predator, you know, and, and again, I got to be careful, but from their perspective, right, from the way they're thinking, I want this predator, um, I want him, I want him exposed. And, you know, and, and so, like, what happens? Like, because unless all 24 cases are settled, nobody else is coming out, Mike, the, the NFL is not going to rule on this. 
So then it's going to be up to the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns are probably asking the NFL right now, what what are you guys going to do? What's what's the what's the punishment going to be? Where where are we at right now? Because we've got to make plans. And and the Baker Mayfield thing, that I mean, that ship has sailed. Baker Mayfield ain't playing for ain't playing for Cleveland again. And I think Cleveland has, you know, I think they have Keenum. I think they didn't they sign Jacoby Brissett. They like they got a bunch of dudes. Like they got a bunch of, but that's you know they 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 got a bunch of Jags, right? Mm-hmm. Jags. Jags. Yeah. Just another guy. Mm-hmm. Daniel Snyder. Not Ugh. your typical NFL owner. Jeez, what what's it gonna take to bounce this guy out of the NFL? So the um uh, Congress had hearings earlier this week. Right. And in it they said their their committee released the findings of an eight month investigation accusing Daniel Snyder of conducting his own shadow investigation that sought to discredit former players or former employees, hiring private investigators to intimidate witnesses, and using an overseas lawsuit as a pretext to obtain phone records and emails. This 29-page memo also alleges Snyder tried to discredit the people accusing him and other team executives of misconduct, also tried to influence the investigation of the team conducted for the NFL by... Uh, a, a law firm, and it, despite all that, uh, Roger Goodell got up in front of Congress the other day and said, I have no power to remove Daniel Snyder. Mm. Now, technically, he doesn't, but he can recommend a vote, yeah. and then it comes before the owners. It takes 24 of the 32 owners, or in this case, 24 of the 31 owners, to um, to vote to remove Daniel Snyder. So should, Dan, uh, should uh, Roger Goodell at least call for it? Put the pressure on the owners. I I, I think who that, he works for. Right. I think <laughs> I think that there are. Uh, I don't think there's any question. Here's the other thing that's going to happen, Mike. Like on top of all this stuff that's going on in regards to the Commanders, you know, and hey, uh, like Daniel Snyder is no longer involved with the day to day. Okay, yeah, right. You know, it's all his wife now that does the day to day organizational issues and. Um, but boy, you want to talk about a mess. And and here's what's gonna I I think eventually he'll get ousted. I think the owners are gonna come to an agreement like this dude, like this dude is like bring unwanted attention in our direction, and we don't want to be scrutinized like that. So I, I definitely think that uh eventually they're gonna call for a vote. The owners will call. But isn't there also kind of a sense you get? I know I get that. This guy may know where some other bodies are buried. Sure. Like, absolutely. And the other owners are very leery of that? Yes, absolutely. And so there's going to have to be something that, uh, you know, some type of an agreement that comes to to pass. The the other thing that I think is going to be really interesting is, um, is John Gruden. Because you know that lawsuit's coming down the pike as well. Good point. And I know one thing about John Gruden. Like that's a competitive cuss right there, and he's got plenty of money, and this is not about getting his money. This is not about, like, this is about retribution. You guys, you guys railroaded me in this whole Washington email scandal investigation. You booted me. You took away my career, the one thing I love, and um, and I ain't getting it back. And this is not about money. This is me. This is me coming back and hurting people, and um, <laughs> I, I, like I've known John for a long time, uh, 
Hell hath no fury. Yeah, yes, he is scorned, <laughs> and you're 100 percent right. So he's coming. He's coming for blood. He's coming for you. Yeah. he has a particular set of skills. <laughs> yeah, yes, he is. He is Liam Neeson, and, and take it. Yeah, he is. He will not. He is unrelenting. He will not rest. Anyhow, hey, listen for everybody involved in the Stink of Truth podcast. Thank you so much. To our great friends over at Bet Rivers, bet with a winner, bet with Bet Rivers. Download the app, check them out at betrivers.com. Uh, for my green chili, stinking good green chili, check it out at stinkinggood.com. Get the queso dip. You're absolutely going to love it. For Mike, I am Mark from Millennial Ben. We thank you so much for being part of the show.